take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Hey, Mr. Finley. How are you, my friend? I am feeling good. It's a fine evening, a little warm. No reason to feel great. I mean, uh, Aretha Franklin died this morning. Yes, she did. Don't make a uh, please, no respect jokes, please. No, no. That's no, the worst. No, no, no. no what no, a great sir. fucking voice, man. I God, mean, she, she, let, me, a great let me inform everyone that she, she had a, a good great voice. Performer, yeah. <laughs> so you, what is she, the godmother of soul or something like that? Yeah. Like she's, she's one of those people. The queen of soul. That, queen of soul. She's one of those people with the oh, title. Oh, yeah. She's sweet. Yeah. It got sweet. me triggered into listening on Spotify to uh, Dion Warwick. Who I, who I adore. Dion amazing is an amazing voice. But I don't think that people will be sad when she dies. No, because she well, she doesn't have the impact. Like she, she's not like the, she's, she's not the queen of anything. She also Let's drifted off in the sadness. Do you remember it does in the eighties and nineties when she was part of the, the Psychic Friends Network? God, yes, you're right. Yes. Yeah. So oh, there's a little so bit of sadness we involved. Resent, we can resent her a little bit for that kind of bullshit. <laughs> I was reading that um, Dan Warwick Psychic Friends. Fuck yeah. I when Angela Davis Ugh. went to jail the first time, she was a, a philosophy professor at UCLA, and mm-hmm. she went to jail for essentially bringing a shotgun. Into court. You know the story? No. This is where Angela Davis originally got famous. She went to jail for bringing a shotgun into court mm-hmm. and handing it to the Black Panther who was on trial, who then held the judge up, taped the gun to his neck, and held him hostage for two days. Wow. That was Angela Davis who gave him the gun. Holy shit. And uh, uh, how did she not spend a lot of time in prison after that? It's That's... an interesting story, I'm sure. It's one of those ones where every once in a while, I mean, I like some things about Angela Davis, but when people are like, God damn her, I'm like, mm, I kind of see what you're saying. That's a, a mm. fucked up thing to do. But, but um, Aretha Franklin offered to pay her bail immediately, yeah. and she put out this, this ad. Uh, like the New York Times or something, and it, it was like, I don't, I don't even, not even sure I know what communism is, but but Angela Davis is a black woman, and I have money from black people, and she does good things for them. So here's a quarter of a million dollars. Wow, that's like a let's yeah, that's that's the kind of shit that's cool. going to get you R E S P E C T. Oh, Tommy. Oh, wait, no. no. Look what you've made. Oh, look what you've oh. Well, it means something different to me. I think you should find out about uh, it. Supposedly. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, obviously, we're talking about Brian De Palma. Of course. That's clear, I think, to everyone. About Brian Am I wrong? De Palma, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian De Palma. Okay, so look. I mean, one of the things that's immediately said about Brian De Palma... Well, let me start here. So let me go back. Please. By going forward. Wherever you start with Brian De Palma is a good place to start. Okay, so... I don't think there's... Just, I'm going to put this in there. I don't think there's a director that invites more commentary maybe. than Brian De Palma. With so... He's, and yet he's like Boston, the band, oh. and that he puts an album out every 20 years, mm-hmm. and like three quarters of them are good, one's bad, and everyone talks about it. Yeah. It's more yeah, of the feeling, Tom. What's one... <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. It's one of those movies. I, it's one of those things where I have to say about Brian, Brian De Palma. Every time I hear there's a Brian De Palma movie out, mm-hmm. I want to love it. Yes. And so often I cannot. Okay. So often it's it, he's, he's had many great movies. He's had many very good, but Carlito's Way, I mean, Christ. Some really great movies. Yeah. And he's had some that are kind of stinkers. Okay, well, let's... And then he's had some that were great movies until like a, like a weird Brian De Palma moment. And you go, oh, fuck Brian De Palma. And there's also like, um, there's the one movie that's especially interesting because of the shelf life, right? So I think a lot of us saw our first Brian De Palma movie with Scarface. Right. Right? Which was a badass fucking movie until you watch it again as an yeah. adult, and it's fucking terrible. Yeah. It's yeah. not a good movie. I, I don't understand how people have, how it's 
got the legacy that it does. It's one of his bad movies. I think it's one. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a a a racial statement here. Mm-hmm. I noticed that it's popular in some segments of the African American community, and weirdly, and this is where I guess I'll have to disagree uh, disagree with like a whole segment of a community. It's lumped in somehow with The Godfather, right? Which is if insanity. It's, if it's anywhere, like uh, I I can see it's sort of appeal to to sort of the gangster nihilist sort of approach to life. Okay, it would be that if anything else. But how the how one can conflate that and The Godfather in the same sentence? That yeah, movie, I, I have no idea. The that. montage scene. It's got alone. Pacino, and that is fucking it. Yeah, that's it. And Robert Lozier. Right. Okay. So that's that's where a lot of us got our our uh, diploma start, right? right? But we're going to start uh, at the beginning. Of, yeah, in at nineteen. The, at the begin, we're going to begin the begin. Let's do like. it. Nineteen seventy-two. <laughs> Margot Kidder. Oh yeah. And Brian De Palma's sisters. 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 There were never anybody better fisters. Okay. Anyways, mm-hmm. on to it. So it's a cult classic. Well, I mean, the thing is now, this is where I was going to start, which is to say that De Palma gets knocked a lot for trying to be Hitchcock. I think he's homaging the fuck out of Hitchcock. I think yep. that's that's a that's a very clear thing. And, mm-hmm. and it, I, I actually read a, a, a comment on that where somebody actually made that comment to Hitchcock mm-hmm. uh, shortly, I guess, shortly before his death. And he said yeah. uh, he, he he liked to think of De Palma as more like fromage than homage. Oh, and that's Hitchcock because Hitchcock <laughs> is not even a secret dick. We all know he's a dick. Wow. Uh, so and and in a lot of ways, not <laughs> that kind of deserved. Well, see, I don't because know. Because he does have a sort of a, he, he can have a cheesier quality than Hitchcock. Even when he's, that's those De Palma moments I'm talking about. Those can be very, very cheesy. Okay, well, I don't know. See, moments. I don't want you to stretch the, I'm going to argue fiercely with you for the second one, I, I suspect. But but um, maybe the first one, which is 1972 Sisters, uh, Sisters, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, it's almost like, yeah, it's an homage. He's a tribute Clearly band friend, so of Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it's sometimes a band is so good that the tribute band is great. And De Palma as a tribute band of Hitchcock, uh-huh. if you will, I like them. And I like Sisters. I'm going to front load this by saying I like it. Because it is fucking weird. It had a, bu- fucking weird it had a budget movie, of $500,000. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the only thing that makes it obviously not like a great film because yeah, yeah. it has it's so very, many it's elements. Definitely cheap. It's definitely done on the cheap. It's, a co- sure. it's in some ways a college film. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it has elements that are like, did you just not have a time to retake that scene? No, you did not. Okay, so it's and got... It's, and it's definitely, it's, as you say, it's a college film. It's got a lot of... I mean, but even with that, he gets a lot. He gets a lot of bang for his buck. Yes, he does. Out of this thing. He does a lot of shit with split screen. I didn't... Yes. I, I, didn't, I didn't... I haven't noticed that as much. I guess most... Like, he's kind of, he's kind of dropped that from his... Uh, from his um, armory, a little bit, somewhat, um, but but he was like particularly with his earlier films, he was pretty heavy on the split screen. Well, a split screen is one of those things that has a shelf life. I mean, once once uh, auteurs use it for a while, I mean, we talked about the Thomas Crown Affair having, if not like more than the split screen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after a while, it becomes like the kaleidoscope. How many times can you look into it? Right, right. Mm-hmm. All right, so and set- it's definitely and, it, and if you overuse it, it's obviously gimmicky. But the thing is, I you know while he's obviously like. You know, homaging or ripping off Hitchcock, it's clear to me that there are people who have taken a lot from De Palma. Oh, yeah, as well. So right. it's like it's immediately clear to me that Oliver Stone and Natural Born Killers mm. owes something to Sisters, sure. for instance, right? Yeah, of course. 
Okay. That's a good catch. I, I, I hadn't made that, that comparison, but yeah, that, that is true, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the fucking sisters. I, I got to be... I gotta be really square with me. The one thing it, it, it didn't. Re- I gotta be really square with me. I'm gonna be square with you. Oh, thank you. Sorry, okay. dude. Yeah. Um, it did. It didn't. It it didn't. It wasn't. Uh, oh, I couldn't figure out if it was trying to be scary or funny. No, stop yeah. it. No, seriously. No, that's yeah, ridiculous. Like, look at Brian, like, what's his what? name? Durning is, is like, he's Wait, like, well, no one knows what a... you're talking about, first of all. I mean, you're just jumping in and making a reference in the middle, uh, but uh, of the film, and we haven't even outlined well, it. Well, let's outline the film. Let's get to it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so the stupidness begins. No kidding. <laughs> it's actually the opening of this movie is really visually it's clever as fuck. Brilliant because it's really you clever. think it's it's something that's happening in the film, and it yeah. turns out to be part of like a candid camera type game show. Right, right, right. Using some sort of like hidden camera, you know, mm-hmm. guessing game or something. Right. And it's Margot Kidder, and Margot Kidder is an actress. Now, I will say this. Margo, it's a reality show they're trying to catch. Yeah. Margot yeah. Kidder, you know, six or seven years before she played Lois Lane in Superman, mm-hmm. she she plays an act, a French actress, and her, her accent is... Fromage. It's terrible. It's not very good. But, she, but the thing is, she's... And it kind of wavers, too. It kind she's of so goes com- in and out. Well, wait a minute. I was going to say the opposite. She's so committed to it that you mm. find this guy, ah, fuck it. Like, I'll go with this, like, her commitment right. to the right. idea. I thought she was... I liked her in this movie, actually. I did, too. Yeah, she was good. She was fun to watch. Okay, so so she is a model working for this sort of candid camera, you know, on assignment for this, this gig, candid camera reality television show. Um, their, like, quote-unquote victim is this African-American guy, mm-hmm. and... And um, he ends up, you know, losing a certain amount of money on the show. But afterwards, they go out for a drink. Right. Right. Because yeah, he gets like two free, uh, two free uh, tickets to the African at the club, African club, which know, is ridiculous. Dinner. Okay. So he takes her along because she's she was on the show too. Okay. She's so cute. So they're out to dinner, and all of a sudden, her um, f- French or possibly German that accent gets in yeah, a, lot, a lot too. One hundred percent. Ex husband shows up and is acting obsessive, but he shows up in an almost like. Um, Martin and Rowan laughing type like yes. um, appearance, right? Right, right. Um, and so, so, but there again, I don't think they're trying to be like clever and cute or funny. I think it's just kind of like they were limited in how to like. And I mean, it's cheese, almost and the like the cheese made it a little. Yeah, I can it's almost like that, the yeah. Palma like had thirty minutes to shoot something in a club in Manhattan, and right. so like let's get this over with, right? Right. And, well, and also he'll. He's not subtle in things. Like so, yep. this guy is ultimately meant to be potentially threatening, but we're, we're we're supposed to he's supposed to be vaguely threatening, but we're not sure what his role is ultimately in the movie yet. So he dresses kind of in a uniform of a vaguely threatening person from the seventies. Yeah, know? gloves on, big you know, big giant sunglasses and the uh, and the the trench coat that apparently yep. everybody wears. Okay, so now I'm going to suggest this, but roll over me if you want to. I'm going to suggest that at this point we don't have to outline every aspect of the plot. Well, we, we have to outline really, like no. like the overarching. Aspect aspect which is she and the african-american guy go back to um staten island to mm-hmm. her apartment mm-hmm. um that um the, the jealous ex-husband waits outside mm-hmm. that they're that the african-american guy is murdered yes. we can say that much right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. um and that it gets here's where it gets really hitchcock is that um a journalist who works for the happens to be a journalist across the street who, who is in the apartment across the street yeah. witnesses the murder, right? right? Mm-hmm. And you know, 
she she writes for like the um, the Staten Island Sentinel or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. like a neighborhood would, paper. Yeah, you know, the, the penny SF saver, the essentially, SF right? Or some shit. Yeah, it's terrible. But but she observes a murder and calls the police, and she has a history of being a thorn in the side of all public institutions, including the police. Like immediately as she as she's calling the police, she's she's we're we're being shown a number of her articles. Yep. Just in a, in a in a screen, yep. and one of them is why are they called pigs? So right, okay, know. so it's like you know she's at odds with the police, who she has to call, with having possibly mind, I guess it's just kind of really nice crystal clear storytelling. It like, is he does definitely a pretty clear. decent job of getting you to point B as far as the story needs to be, and at the same time that he's 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 making a, a crystal clear like clarity as job number one. He's using interesting the split screen technique, so it's like mm-hmm. the African American guy has been stabbed. We see the interior of the apartment. He's looking out through the glass. He's etching. This is ridiculous. He's etching the word "help" and his own blood right. on the screen. But at the same time, that's the left side of the screen, and the right side of the screen, we we get a camera shot over the journalist's over shoulder, shoulder, looking at the guy dying, yeah, yeah. and it's it's. It's really masterfully done, and the editing is is incredible. Yeah. Okay, we put it together really well there. Okay, so somehow um, we we need to figure out whether Margot Kidder did this because there's no reason she would. And and there's a sort of that's the subplot, right? right. Is there's mm-hmm. this sort of like how did he get murdered? Right. Why is the ex husband hanging around? Is he simply obsession obsessive, or is he looking out for Margot Kidder? Mm-hmm. And now understand, but we got to back up a little bit. Should we talk about the sister in this situation? Well, I guess you're going to. Well, should we? No. Okay, then let's not. Well, I mean, that's the whole point. Am right, I right. moving over that? So, okay. so the so so. I wasn't sure. That's I okay. Maybe you were just drunk. I'm a, a, a good assumption. All okay. right. Fair enough. It is eight in the morning, but <laughs> but um. So so here's where I have to sort of say it starts to become numerous Hitchcock films meshed into one. It's Psycho. Right. Totally, it's yeah. it's totally Rear Window. Oh yeah. It's Rope. Because at one yeah. point, mm-hmm. they decide to mm-hmm. hide the body in the fold-out couch. Right. And the cops come in and sit down on the couch right. while they're asking questions about a, a re, the reported um, murder. Right. Right? Yeah. And then it moves on from there. Like, what are the consequences to the reporter of having seen it? And you mentioned Charles Durning, who has this ridiculous role a year before. <laughs> the private the detective hired by the, uh, hired by the, uh, the newspaper she works for. To help investigate this situation. Right, and to try to figure out, like, where is the body? If we right. didn't see it in the apartment, right. then is, is it in that couch that's being moved? And there's all kinds of sort of, you know... Mm-hmm. And it, it resolves itself in a very, I would say, confused manner. It's it's the weakest part uh, of the whole film, in my uh, opinion. Yeah, is, how, it, how, it, how it resolves? Yeah, everything up to the, the murder and then trying to hide the murderer and, and, and the reporter sort of seeing the murderer and, right. and hiring Charles Durning, I can go with. Yeah. Everything after that is just a, a sort of um, a weird um, sort of jigsaw puzzle of like um, psychi- psychiatric, you know, history gone yeah, wrong well, and like, murder. And any, anybody who's like like a trained psychoanalyst has got to, would watch these yeah. would watch a De Palma movie and go, well, I, I remember that chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, because he's definitely he's really hot on his Freud. Yeah, he's got for a sure. big boner for the Freud man. Yeah. It definitely shows it. Like it's 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 incredibly obvious. It's like it's, somewhere between Freud and Hitchcock is where this guy lives. <laughs> but it moves along. It does, and for, and Hitchcock in himself was also Freudian. And whoever he so. got to do the score does a great well, also homage to Hitchcock type scoring. Well, of course it is because it was one of Hitchcock's famous Bernard Herman. No, did the score? Yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, Bernard Herman was doing it. So mm. of Psycho Good fame. Here and I, nice. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was. So of course it was. So of course it was masterfully a, like a little slice of Hitchcock in this thing. So. So anyone who's listened to our show 
with any regularity knows that Tom and I are split on the following concept. I am not a fan of like, this movie's so bad, it's good. Bad. I don't feel that way, though. I feel that there are moments in the movie that are actually kind of genuinely bad, mm-hmm. but it's just like clearly he didn't have like the status. I'm talking about De Palma, yeah. the status, the money, whatever it is, the locations, mm-hmm. um, the permission, the, the you know, but he had the technique, he had the heart, well, he had the innovation. That's what I think is really interesting is yeah. you see a, a, a you see a director with an, with the intent of being oh, mature, yeah. appro- like approaching like his what will become his more mature technique later on. I guess so. So that's kind of interesting from that. But I got it. But I got to back you up really quick. Please. The very ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, Charles Durning basically goes oh, off yeah. script. He's following this fucking couch <laughs> out of nowhere, and it's being basically they ship it off to like some cow shed in the middle of Canada. It's his rosebud. Right, it's his rosebud, and, and so he's still observing this thing like. Probably weeks later, mm-hmm. as this thing is like sitting and moldering mm-hmm. next to a bunch of cows. How can you look at that and not go like, is this a little confused com- comedy going on in this thing? Well, That's wait a minute. Sometimes wait a comedy, a and sometimes a comedy overbears the, the, oh, the horror of this movie I mean, to me. In the sense that... Let, and I don't let's, think it's all accidental. Let's take a movie like Psycho, right? Mm-hmm. Does Psycho have moments that are, I mean, I suppose comedic? There are tongue-in-cheek moments inside. Yeah, but that's sure. different from sort of the original framing that I thought I heard you say, which is like, this is a movie that can't decide whether it's going to be an homage to Hitchcock or comedy. Like, no, it definitely no. decides. No, no, I th- no, I think it's, oh, it's definitely, it definitely skews to that, but it's at the same time, mm-hmm. the comedy keeps popping in, and it's just ham-fisted enough to kind of water the movie down to me. Yeah, okay, maybe. So you're not a fan? Um, no, actually, I would say it's it's a decent watch. It's yep. it's a if you it's a slice of like it's it's a heavy seventies movie. Yeah, like this is yes. some driving watching shit right here. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely Grindhouse. The the question is, I mean, I guess like this is why I don't like movies like Grindhouse is that. I'm not fond of movies that I think you have to be a sort of like a cinema school, you know, devotee to enjoy. Uh huh. Like you, no, I think you can enjoy this on its own. You can without that sort yeah, of. I think sure. so too. Yeah, it's enjoyable. It's not. It's not the greatest movie on the planet. Yeah, definitely got a lot of flaws. I think this is true of a lot of sort of De Palma stuff, particularly when mm-hmm. he's trying to be Hitchcocky. Yeah, is that it, the logic doesn't always follow through, and it's not always the obvious path. But well, it's, I but mean, it's super, it can be super interesting to watch how he gets to point B. Yeah, that's, but it's also like the couch moment too. It's sort of like I appreciate the sort of the the. Um, the unclosed box, if you will. In other words, like, are, are there sort of incongruities or is it like it, much like um, a Tarantino later on? It's sort of like, uh, I'm going to have a character who has a clear like noose burn around his neck and not once mention why it's there. Uh-huh. Like that's, there's something kind of brilliant about that if it's not overused. Mm, okay. and, and I think there are moments like that here now. I guess your question's a fair one. Are those just sort of like things that never got done by De Palma? Um, I think what I considering are, his limitations, it seems reasonable. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give you a Frederick March uh, inherit the wind here. Mm-hmm. Our next witness will have the answer to that, <laughs> and that is. Can we move on? Oh yeah, let's do it. To 1980s, dress, dress to, to kill. kill, dress to kill, right? Dress to kill. Okay, so now we're talking. I mean, the, the the problem with dress to kill before we talk about De Palma. I mean, problem. The the pr- problem perception around it is this: the number one thing that everyone was talking about regarding J- Dress to Kill when I first saw it mm-hmm. was that Angie Dickinson was naked in it. Uh, that, yeah, that's. I mean, she's not actually. By the way, it's a body double. But what a terrible problem! Well, <laughs> oh, damn you! I mean, from a modern um, 
uh, impotent middle-aged man movie observer <laughs> perspective. The problems shift, my friend. The problems shift. Well, I think I think it's uh, well. Here's something I, I think I'm going to give De Palma serious credit for this. Mm-hmm. De Palma was making an exploitive film like that. Like he's not above. He was not above using sex as a, as an exploitation. Oh tool no, 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 no. Of course, he used it. He used it a bunch in well, Sisters. In Sisters, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. and and in subsequent movies since then, and mm-hmm. it really appears in here. Now, like, yeah, Angie Dickinson. Are, are we talking about like the the shower scene? The shower scene, right? Yeah. And I mean, it opens about... with a with a scene of Angie Dickinson's. I mean, they film her head in a shower, and then they back up to the the sort of like the, see the some foggy outline, glass. See some outline of Bob. Well, that's not her. But, that, but I mean, but then just, they do close ups of her, like really, just lavishly washing her I t- nipples. I just have to say, and it's not dear her listener, at all. Tom is actually rubbing his nipple. No, I'm, I'm not, not playing a this joke. This is here. easily <laughs> four inches away from my nipple. That's that's where they are. Anyways, so so she is like she is like lavishing some attention on her mm-hmm. bod in there, mm-hmm. and it's a, and it's another body. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's a body doll. I just want people to know, yeah. just lest you think that's actually Angie Dickinson's body. It's not. And if and if you so choose to uh, imagine it being so, you go right ahead. I say. I guess it wasn't that important, but no. <laughs> but but you know what's clear about this? So she lives in New York City. Mm-hmm. She's in this relation. She's has a husband yes. um, who is. Um, it's see, we hear was something very strange to me. By the way, I remember yeah. seeing this film when I was nine, mm-hmm. right? And it was like one of those first R-rated movies. It had that opening sex That's scene. Formative where, of, of us oh, with naked ladies. Well, here's sure. what was formative about it: is mm-hmm. I remember um, it opens after the shower scene she's in bed and her husband is just like nailing her right right and now that I look at it as an adult, she's looking off to the side, like counting the, the ceiling tiles. <laughs> she's, and, she's, and later, she's going over the crib play last night for cribbage play last later night. Later on, I mm-hmm. learned that she would report that her husband just sort of gave her the old wham bam treatment and didn't satisfy her. Uh-huh. And I remember at nine being confused, like I was thinking, like, wait. She's making noises. He was thrusting at you rapidly. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you enjoy that? Of course, right. Okay, but anyway, so... You so, had the excuse of being a kid. The, the, the actor did. Hey, by the way, it was 1980. I'm not too sure many grown men weren't as surprised as I was. Right. right? Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, it wasn't a public conversation. The, the, the clitoris was coming out of the... Out of the <laughs> at, was, was, was stopping hanging out with Bigfoot for a little while, coming into the, the American Just as blurry and elusive. Fair yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, I mean, the important thing is, so she, she moves on and she's clearly like a woman who's dissatisfied with her life and oh, in yeah. a way it, it, it reeks of like the real housewives of Beverly Hills or something like yeah, oh she's hyper you, she's very hyper privileged absolutely yeah. right she's, she's gonna spend her afternoon in a museum you know she on. has this nerdy son mm-hmm. um, who's like building crazy things like in 1980 almost Iron Man Tony Stark level fucking but in 1980 building. so in it's like this yeah. computer <laughs> the size of my room can can hold the memory of a notebook you right, know right, right. all right but he's way ahead of his time that actually that line almost got Said right, 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 and you know he's he kind of skips school, and his mother mm-hmm. lets him, and they have a, they have kind of a strange and messed yeah, relationship a themselves, bit. right? Yeah, yeah. So she goes off to the to the Museum of Modern Art, I right. think, right mm-hmm. in New York, and here's by the way where De Palma like gets interesting for the first like forty minutes of the film, which mm. really only takes us through her going uh, getting railed, her talking to her son. Her visiting her psychiatrist, therapist, yes. played by mm, Michael Caine, right? Um, where she reveals that she has an unsatisfactory sex life. Right. She goes to the Museum of Modern Art, and the whole time there's a very, very bad sort of elevator music song, the same one playing over and over. But De Palma it's makes it work. It's weird how it works. It's weird that that works. It, it's it, he he creates tension it, I, out it, of that music. Yeah, and it's terrible. It is like yeah. It's not a good song, but somehow yep. 
it fits with the banality of of there's there's the banality of it sort of bleeds over and makes itself interesting. Absolutely. I don't know how else to put that. Well, I think good artists do that. Good yeah. artists can create tension out of boredom mm -hmm. in a strange way. So 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 the film reaches its first sort of apex in this museum mm -hmm. where she's clearly being um, sort of sought by a strange man. Seduction scene. A seduction scene, and the yeah. camera work that De Palma employs is. Fucking incredible! It's in this actually museum. a really remarkable scene. It's a it it's, it really it's is like, a mind-blowingly well put together scene. It's like they dropped a camera inside the maze at The Shining and mm -hmm. just somehow in like almost one take wove their way out of the maze. It's right. like that level of yeah. camera work. Yeah, it's like he's following her and then it's like bullet, like the chase scene. Like he's following her at first. She kind of wants nothing to do with them. Following him a little bit and then it goes back and forth like that. She it's, drops her glove at one point, mm -hmm. hoping he'll pick it up, realizing that he doesn't. Picks it up herself leaves and then of course he's uh, now he's chasing her again right right and and it culminates with them in a, in a cab getting eaten eating eating that bush and he goes down on he her. Well, it's the like word is cunnilingus, Tom. Let's mm. be mature. No, it's not. It's called mm, yummy so lingus. Immature. It's yummy lingus, my mm. friend. Mm -mm. Anyways, yes. So, so there's this sort of like in a New York cab. Hold on, allow yep, me to please. vomit a little bit at that one. What? New York cabs. Come on, that's like that's like God's scrotum right there. So, yeah, I think you're right, Belly. You know, it's got to be pretty fucking filling, dude. You know I'm right. <laughs> well, we know why now. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's classic. You know, the cabbie sort of taking a look uh, at the old river. But anyway, mm -hmm. so so she follows him back to the apartment, somehow stays at his apartment, and then it gets kind of juicy, right? And and there, I don't want to give away, like, what troubles her initially, but we will say there, this, there's a murder. She is murdered. Right. By a, a crazy woman who mm -hmm. enters the elevator, right. and it's like this confluence of of, of circumstances, um, coincidence. Like she's there. Why is a murderer sort of like appearing, you know, um, on the scene, right. um, slashing her in a brutal um, with, with a straight razor too. death scene? Uh, right. That's a fucking good. With, that's a good weapon. That's an underused weapon. With with one witness, or should I say two? And the two witnesses are this call girl and her John. Now the John. He obviously wants he bails out wants nothing to do with it won't right. reveal himself mm -hmm. and so this call girl who's like a high class call girl kind of looks it too she's who pretty can, cute who can sort of like pass for a second as maybe not a call girl right. becomes a witness to the murder right and this is where the the, the film kind of starts it's like the first act of the film yeah. and it's like you have the husband notified you have the nerdy son notified mm -hmm. you have the therapist Michael Caine Michael Caine thank you notified all brought in for questioning mm -hmm. and this Paul uh, high class uh, call girl, and they're all being questioned by um, what's Dennis Franz from NYPD Blue? Dennis Franz well, from Psycho Two, you a mean? Bear, oh, that's right. He he had a, a, only a small comb over at that time. Yeah, he was he was, he was oh, half of the Dennis Franz you're aware of with his terrible sort of like um, <laughs> come tan, on, lady tan leather jacket like, with a tan oh, belt. The, the most seventies <laughs> of all jackets. This guy, he looked. Oh, come on, he looked. Yes. Look, I want to just put him in every movie with it that's pretending to have a '70s cop. Just put him in there. So he he, he was so perfect. He calls it was around. 80, it was yeah, still look, 70. honey, we know that you're you've been blowing Johns. And, but it's, <laughs> it's all awesome. now. It all so the rest of the film really just becomes about like those who are interested in solving this murder, right? Because mm -hmm. really, it's like there's a touch of like. Um, I would say not feminism, but like an examination of misogyny, because the truth is, it's kind of now known that she was stepping out with a stranger to have sex, yeah. and that lowers her like value mm -hmm. in terms of someone who deserves justice. Well, okay, but let's let's I mean, let's in more obvious terms, she gets killed yeah. because she's a whore, and the whore, who's <laughs> honestly a whore, yeah, doesn't get killed like in the end of the movie. <sighs> 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not subtle, Joe. It's no, pretty I, much right I, there, no, baby. Of course, I got you. I yeah. understand that the sort of like figurative interplay there, but I'm just saying, like on the surface, even mm-hmm. there's there's this chance to examine, like, why doesn't anyone care except for? By the way, even her husband doesn't really seem to care. He doesn't seem to give a shit. After he liked that. her that morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about the son and this prostitute now, sort of getting together to try to figure out who the hell. Is it that murdered her? Right. And was it a happenstance? They don't think so. And they, they figure out that there was it had something to do with one of Michael Caine's other patients, probably. So it's really like also, and, and he can't reveal who the... Who the bad person is, yes. Uh, yes, who the bad person is who might have been his client. Um, he can't really even reveal much about her as a client. And right. so like there's, a, there's that confidentiality issue. And how do they sort of like um, all meet... Under the less than watchful eye, all of a sudden, of Dennis Franz, who's just in there to sort of like, you know, frame the situation. Right, right. But I just think that it's, it's. I mean, there are moments here, too. I would say it's not as bad because clearly De Palma had a, a bigger, budget, bigger budget and he had a star like Michael Caine and, and, and Angie Dickinson. But I will say this. In some ways, I mean, I, first of all, I fucking love this film. Uh-huh. I think it's masterful, but in some ways, it has some of the clumsiness that Sisters has. It's yes. just a little, a little more money behind it. Never really gets the, through the clumsiness. Here's what it does really well, and here's where De Palma really invests his money. I think yep. he invests in making it pretty. Yeah, it's a visually beautiful. It visually, this is a very well shot movie. Well, it's, it's also, beautiful. It's got some really shitty things in it. It's intentionally, some might say, blurry. It's like a soft camera lens that he he's. It's almost got like soft core. Pornography yeah. Yeah. quality it's, it's to it. This, it's got this. I mean, dream, well, it's got a dreamlike quality to it as well. Yeah. But it's also it's just beautiful. It is and a that's, beautiful in, film. In that sense, it's very different from Sisters. But you can see a lot of where he was coming from from Sisters to here. But I do think it's not that, that huge a jump. In some ways, yeah. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. And yet, I think that while Sisters is a um, an apt film mm-hmm. in many ways. I just think that there are some things that are so well done, like going back to that museum scene. Yeah, the, the way he wove the tension with the camera work, um, the the use of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it's yeah. I mean, look, the woman who plays the scene, any scene with with um, Dennis Franz and the woman who plays a prostitute. It's barely. It's like junior college level acting. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not great. So there, I, are, yeah, yeah. but but there again, she's not a great actor. And I, he's Dennis Franz. There's a little bit of homage not to Hitchcock in this case, and those scenes I'm talking about, but rather almost like to like 40s noir. Yeah, like I mean, that's I'm willing to give it enough credit because of the masterful things it does to look at those scenes and go like. Is that bad acting, or or is De Palma sort of like tipping his hat to an Alan Ladd's The Blue Dahlia or something? Right, right, right. I don't know. It's a chunky movie, but I like it. But it's I love it. I you know when I was I a kid, I saw it first when I was a kid, and except mm-hmm. for the naked scenes, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't care for it at all. The the, really? the well the except for the naked scenes, <laughs> that was <were laughs> good. good. Um, except for well, the, I think the artistry that De Palma was really sort of displaying there was lost on me. Like, yeah, I guess so. Well, we were like nine and but ten. But now, yeah. yeah. Buck. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Was a good. That was a worthy movie. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: Which of the two is better? Oh, well, clearly, Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just a, it's a, it's apples it's and oranges. It's better written, even you know, but but at the same time, it's also very heavy Hitchcock. Yeah. No. Agreed. Oh yeah, like he's he's not far from home base on that. Agreed. Well, I mean, but the thing is, sometimes once you get more access, the worse it gets. So it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you look at like Reservoir Dogs right. and you look at The Hateful Eight, 
Mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs is ten times the movie. Right. The Hateful Eight is, and it's almost like like Tarantino suffers from the access he has. Not true with De Palma. De Palma had it all, and and if he's suffering, it's just lack of access. And you can see when he gets access, it gets better. Well. And then three right. years and later, the Scarface. Right, then, because that's what I'm saying about De Palma. I always want to love him because he does make good movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful movies. And then sometimes he'll just make a turd of a movie, and so, yeah. and then sometimes he'll make, like I said, like a movie that's that's like is at least good until mm-hmm. like some weird Brian yeah. De Palma made a weird choice. I don't know if you ever see the Black Dahlia. Yeah. Oh fuck that! With the the woman like the the the, the woman at the end who who's obviously crazy is like cartoonishly crazy. She's yeah. like Yosemite Sam crazy, mm-hmm. and that was obviously from De Palma. And I was like, "Fuck you, De Palma!" I yeah. hate that. Every once in a while, he just will throw in something very ham fisted that he's trying to be artistic, but it didn't work. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I, I have a, he strikes me as a director who um, liked cocaine. <laughs> I don't know why he just has. So that. he strikes you as a director. Okay, I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, here's Scorsese. He was fond of the little news candy himself. Mm-hmm. That's why he's got like one nostril left. <laughs> I saw a um, Taxi Driver was on TV the other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taxi Driver is one of those movies that's almost worth watching when it's on TV, except right. that it's just so censored. And there's that scene where. Um, where Scorsese does the cameo in the back of the cab, right? And he's he's telling De Niro, "Look up there, look up there. That's my wife. She's with a nigga. My wife's with a nigga." And he says, uh, "Keep the meter running. I've got a forty-five. You know what a forty-five will do to a woman's pussy? You ever seen that? Except that on TV." Oh my! <laughs> One wonders. <laughs> do you know what a forty-five will do to a woman's beautiful face? Ah, and like, ah boo! <laughs> boo! Uh, by the way, I don't know. I don't know that I have to watch uh, Taxi Driver anytime soon. I am after all living with Travis yeah, fucking Bickle. This might be Tom's last episode if he's not uh, murdered by his current roommate. Jesus God! <laughs> I have a roommate and I'm an adult. I'm gonna. I should. Yeah, let, I, should finally, I should beg him to shoot me. That's it. I'll finally get to talk about movies the way I want to. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Except I'll be stuffed over here, weekend at Bernie style. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough, Tommy. Tommy. All right, there, Kevin. You got anything? you want to promote well shoot let's just uh promote uh well i have my website tomsmithcomedy.com go check that out and uh i'll have dates listed up there when uh, when they become available in a less selfish vein i wanted to say that you can rate and review us on itunes that's very unselfish of you Joe. <laughs> i guess that means there's two of us so that makes it unselfish well mm-hmm. all, all right, right buddy all right love you pally no love you mm-hmm. wait no Ugh.